If you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn with me to the book of James. The book of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. The scripture says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. Let us go to our God and ask his blessing on our text today. Oh, Jesus, we ask that you would be with us as we examine this important piece of scripture. I pray that you would help it to shape our minds as we think about this coming year and all years going forward. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Ah, the start of a brand new year. A new calendar gives us hope that we will finally be able to get our lives together. We're flush with confidence, despite years of data that tell us otherwise, that this year it will be different. It's tempting to sit in front of our calendars, our bank books, and perhaps even our scales and say that this is going to be our year. And I know I fall prey to this all the time. This time of the year is a dangerous time to be on the internet if you're into productivity and calendars and such. I like to, I spent a good portion of this week looking through all the ways that I can improve my organization and make my calendars streamlined and all these challenges and things that you can do. Came across one uh, for a, a Bible reading plan that would take you through the Bible not in a year, not in three months, but in a single month. You could get through the entire Bible. Today's, today's reading is Genesis, the book. And I remember coming up to my wife and being excited about saying, it's like, I think I'm going to try that this year. And my wife looked at me and said, you need to get off the internet. This isn't good for you. And it's true. The optimism of a new year is a really powerful thing. And it can fill us with confidence and plans of what we're going to do for this year. As we'll emphasize here, what our passage in the Bible is not condemning planning. It is not when we leave this passage that I hope you all throw away your calendars. That's not the point of this passage. What I'm hoping that we'll see from this thing as we are planning our year ahead, that we would do so with a different attitude. That we would do so with humility and an honest recognition of how much we need God. Things are extremely unexpected. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And the number of tomorrows that we have are extremely brief. 
You all got up earlier this morning in a wonderful illustration of this text itself. It was a dense fog early this morning. It's all gone. Just a matter of a few hours from the heat of the sun. It's a beautiful illustration of what our lives are like. They're here today and they're gone. So what is it that we should be doing with our lives? How is it that we as mists would not miss our opportunities? I'm so sorry. That was the title of this sermon. Regret. So no matter how it is that you're choosing to approach your life here in this year, I'm hoping that you will look with me at this passage and see our two points which I have for you today. The first in our sermon today is to be confident in God, not yourself for this year's plans. To be confident in God and not yourself in this year's plans. And the second point is to pursue God's will with the time that you have. That's what we're going to look through today in our brief time together. So as we start here in chapter 4, verse 13, we have this very familiar scene. We could put it in a modern day setting. We've got all the executives are sitting around in the boardroom and they're making their strategies and their schemes for how business is going to go this year. The projections are being put forward and here's the plan. Here it says, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and for sure make a profit. One of the commentators in my study on this passage had noticed that the executives here assumed the following things were under their control. The first was they believed that they controlled time. Today or tomorrow we'll go and do this or that. That they controlled the location of where all these things would happen. It's in such and such a town. How long their business is going to last, the duration of a year, and that they were going to control their labor and their profits. All of these things, if we actually controlled them, business would be quite easy, wouldn't it? And when we lay it out this way, we can see the absurdity of what it is that they're saying. To boast in themselves that we are going to control every aspect of what it means to be successful. And that is what James is saying is the wrong approach to have. But this is, in fact, arrogance to think that we can control that much of our lives. Now, you may say, well, pastor, I don't struggle with that. In fact, I have the opposite problem. I worry all the time. I'm constantly afraid of how much is not in my control and spend all my days worrying about what is going to happen in time and in space and in business. Does that mean that I'm free from this passage? Well, speaking as someone who suffers with that himself, of worry, it's just the the flip side of the coin of arrogance. The reason why we worry is because we think there's something we can do about it. If we truly believe that there was nothing we could do about it, There'd be no reason to worry. But because we think, well, maybe there's something I could do. Well, maybe there's something I can figure out. Or maybe there was something I should have figured out back here, and now I'm going to regret it over here. It's all the sin of arrogance and none of the comfort. That's what worry is. And what James is saying here, and is a cure for this arrogance and for worry, here is here in verse 14. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, much less the idea of what the next year is going to bring. The Lord moves in a lot of mysterious ways. I remember when I 
took my first ministry job in a little town of Bruton, Alabama. I was pulling out from my driveway to head on to church, and I wanted to make sure I was there at the service early to make a good impression. It was the first day and all. And I got confused as to which street I was on. I thought I was over here where all sides of the intersection have a stop sign, but instead I was over here where only my side of the area has a stop sign. And I thought the other person coming down in this direction was going to have the stop sign, so I began to pull out. And it was only then I realized they didn't have a stop sign at all and totaled my car 100 feet from my driveway on the first day. (laughs) Thankfully, no one was hurt. The other car was barely damaged. Mine was totaled. And I had to spend the next two weeks driving around the youth ministry van. (laughs) It was a humbling experience, to say the least. But I didn't know what my life would hold. I was fully convinced because I had gotten up early, I had gotten dressed, I was going to be on time, and I was going to make a good impression with those people that were there, and that was fully within my control, and it was not. This was something that is a good reminder about what our life is like, and all of our life is like that, because not only is today and tomorrow out of control and unknown, but so is the rest of our lives. It can change or even completely disappear. And that's what we see that James continues when he asks, what is our life? This is for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. One of the commentators on this passage had put it this way. He says, we should not take even living for granted because our very lives depend on God's grace for their continuance. We can't take survival for granted. That changes the way that we pray, doesn't it? That changes the way that we approach the start of a day. Because we are dependent on God for our hearts to remain beating. It can be tough in our modern times to sincerely pray the Lord's Prayer of give us this day our daily bread. Because we have grocery stores for that. We have refrigerators for that. And we don't get to see the direct correlation between one and the other. But perhaps it would be easier for us to keep that in mind when we realize we need the Lord to keep our heart beating. Our brains to keep operating. No matter how young or old you are, we are a mist. And are dependent on God for all things. Now this does bring up a question that we should wrestle with. Because so far, what I've been laying out for us is that there is no way that we can know what's going to happen tomorrow. We are completely dependent on God for every single thing that happens in our lives, including our very survival, and we don't even know how long we're going to be here. So then the question is, should we plan anything at all? Do we bother? Should we float around as free spirits just moving wherever it is that the Lord wills? Well, as we continue into verse 15, we'll see that's not the case. Notice, James has been critiquing of the guys that are saying today and tomorrow we will go into such and such and such and such. Here in verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, and if James was against planning, here would be a great win for him to say, I don't know what's happening today. We'll just see what the Lord does. But that's not what he's saying. He is simply changing the first phrase. He's adding something. To our planning. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, what he's saying here is we're not just needing to tack on a phrase onto the beginning or ending of all of our planning statements. Say It's like, okay, well, as long as we said the magic phrase, it's all right. That's not what this is supposed to be. By the way, as a kind of a side note, we kind of do the same thing with ending our prayers with in Jesus' name. This is not, we, we don't look at in Jesus' name as like a stamp on an envelope where if you don't say that, the prayer doesn't count. What this is meant to tell us is the prayer that I've just prayed, I'm signing it in Jesus' name as if he was the one praying that. That's the point of this. And in the same way, when we're making our plans, we don't just say it's like, all right, well, if the Lord wills, then I'm going to do this, 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 that, and the other. It's like, no, 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 no. This is an attitude of humility. If the Lord wills, then I'm going to get to do this, that, and the other thing. This changes a lot about how you approach things in life. Some of you may know I've been dealing with a lot of house and improvement projects that have involved me being down in the crawl space of my home. And there's been a lot of adjusting and things that I've had to do. And I always have gone down there with an immense confidence for how long it's going to take me or how successful I'm going to be in this particular endeavor. And then I'll come back up and I'll be sad, discouraged, and a little dirty. But the thing has not worked out. But in studying this passage, I have begun to, I've begun to go down there or in anything that I've been doing and saying, well, you know what? If the Lord wills, this is going to happen. If the Lord wills, I'll get this done in this time, and I'll get this done in that time. That changes disappointment. Now, all of a sudden, when things don't work out, it is not just because, like, ah, well, you know, I'm a failure as a handyman. It's like, no, even if I was the most successful handyman in the world, I'm still dependent on God for every nail that goes into every board. And if the Lord said, this project's not done, there's something else for you to learn down here, and we're going to keep at it until you learn. Well, now I'm submitting to a king in everything that I'm doing. And if my king tells me no, then I listen. Because my king is not a tyrant. My king is a good father to me. So when I say, if the Lord wills, if the benevolent God who sent his son to die for my sins who's clearly proven himself to be for me, if he told me no, then I can trust in that. It's a whole different approach to everything that we do in our lives, one of humility and dependence, instead of frustration that the world is not bending to my hand. It's being reminded, I'm part of this world that's being shaped by God's hand, and he's using the circumstances around me to do this. That's what this attitude brings to us. To do otherwise, as we see here in verse 16, to do otherwise is to be arrogant. That's what it says. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Pointing back to verse 13. And then notice what he says here. All such boasting is evil. Arrogance and boasting is not just an unattractive character trait. Arrogance is not a personality quirk. Arrogance is evil. God hates pride. And when we go about in an attitude of, I've got this, the Lord is disgusted. 
It's easy for us to do. I was reading an article on Desiring God. It was talking about, uh, I think the title of it was the, The Failure of Leaders. And one of them, the things that it points out is the lack of prayer. And the lack of prayer over mundane things. Because we assume, because I've done it a thousand times, I've got this. I'm powerful enough to do it. I've commuted to work a hundred times. I'm going to be just fine. We don't need to make these things a matter of prayer. And the example that that article drew from was out of Joshua. Joshua was told, don't make a covenant with the peoples that are in this land that you're conquering. But then the people in this land, that got smart. They dressed as if they were coming from a long journey away. And they came up to Joshua and said, we've heard about you guys. We're from a country way far away. Make a covenant with us. And it says in the text that Joshua did not consult the Lord. He did not pray. Why? Because he trusted what his eyes could see. Well, their garments are worn out. Their bread is all moldy and crusty. I can see with my eyes what's in front of me. I've dealt militarily for a long time. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to consult the Lord. And sure enough, what I ended up doing was making a covenant with these people. And lo and behold, it was the folks the next town over. Now they couldn't do what the Lord said for them to do. It's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to do because we assume the grocery stores have been there. They'll always be there. We don't need to pray for our provision of food. I've been faithful at work for all these years. I don't need to the Lord's help in this. I've got it. Something that John Piper did in his years of ministry. As he was driving to work, he had a bridge that he would cross over to get to the church. And he says every time that he prayed over that, well, that he went over that bridge, he would pray, Lord, make me faithful one more time. I love that. Instead of just a one blanket prayer, Lord, keep me faithful for the rest of my ministry. He recognized as a duty for himself that he needs the Lord every day to be faithful to what he's called him to do. What is it that you think you can do on your own? You think because you have raised children thus far that we've got this parenting thing down? Or because you have raised children that you understand exactly how to treat your grandchildren? Or because you've been in God's word for a long time that there's really no need to be reading through this one again? Or that because we followed after Jesus for so long, we don't need to be careful about what's going on in our hearts? What are you confident about? And why are you confident in it? Are you confident just because of your skill that you've developed? Or are you confident in your Lord? That's why here in this first point, as we need to be confident in God, not ourselves, for this year's plan. So now as we get to our final verse, we'll take a look at our second point. So we know what not to do. Don't boast in your own abilities for what this year may or may not bring. But in our second point, what should we do? And that is to pursue God's will with the time that you have. Here in this final verse, it says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now in this immediate context, what this is referring to is James has just convinced us that if we are confident in ourselves, if we boast in our own abilities, we are sinning. Because we've just been told that's wrong. So if we leave from here 
and forget all that we've just read out of James, and we forget that we don't need God, we are sinning. But the application of this verse can be put out a lot further, and that this could be a very broad application. When we look into the rest of our lives, there are a lot of things that we know that we should do. If we fail to do them, then it's sinful. Take a moment as you're planning out the rest of your year. Think about all of the things as we say, if the Lord wills, we do this, that, and the other. Hopefully that will get us thinking, oh, what is the Lord's will? What is something that he wants me to do? As you pour over your budgets for this upcoming year. And if you're saying, well, if the Lord wills, we can finally get that lake house and get that boat and go on this vacation and all these things. And there's never a thought for the poor and the needy. Saying, if the Lord wills over and over doesn't change anything. Because the Lord has willed that we are generous to those that are around us. Not condemning those that have lake houses and boats. Don't hear that. But if it's can, but what we are condemning is those that have no thought for the poor at all. The Lord has given us wonderful resources, and we're called to use those things for those that are around us to advance the kingdom of God. As we look to our finances or the way we use our time, do you have your calendar so stacked full there is no chance at all to have time with the Lord every day? Whether our calendars are so packed that Sunday is just like, well, if we can fit it in or not, we know what we're supposed to do. If we don't do it, it's sin. All of these things we could look into our lives, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the priorities that we set for our families. What are we going to be about as a family? What's going to be our priority, our highest end? As you're weighing all of these decisions, keep that verse 14 in mind. What is our lives? If we make our lives all about acquiring stuff, a lot of that stuff will vanish before even we will. If we're missed, then our stuff is steam. It's gone immediately in the scale of our own lives. Don't chase that which is fading. Chase that which is firm. Pursue after the Lord and his will for your life. And by the way, we, we, we tend to make what God's will is for our lives far more mysterious than it needs to be. The Lord is not playing a shell game with you and shuffling the things around as to what he wants you to do. And you've got to figure it out quickly before he opens up the cup like, ah, I made the wrong decision. It's not what this is. We know what we're supposed to do next. To summarize from our shorter catechisms, to love God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we're supposed to do. And whatever that looks like for you tomorrow, you're worshiping the Lord and enjoying him forever, you're doing those things, you're going to be on the right path. Just taking the light for the next day. And if, as one preacher said, if you are saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, and willing to suffer, you can do whatever you want. Because <laughs> if that's your things, you will follow what God's will is for your life. Now, you may say, it's like, well, pastor, I made a decision back here. That's led me all the way over here, and my life is really, really difficult right now. 
Did I miss God's will for, your, for my life? No. How do I know? Because that's what happened. See Psalm 104? See how in control God is? You think that God can control grass but can't control you? You're somehow beyond his ability to do this? Some wild dog at the end of a leash that the Lord is helplessly trying to rein in? No. The Lord is sovereign over your life as well. When you sin, can the Lord use that? Yeah. Did he cause you to sin? No, you wanted to do that. But can he work through those things? Absolutely. You married someone who's really difficult? That's the spouse that the Lord has given to you. He's going to have you live out Ephesians 5. Will it be hard? Sure. But the Lord will give you strength for that. He's brought you to this point. Have children that are really hard? Those are supposed to be your kids. It's God's will for you. So now it's, what's the next right thing to do? And that's what God's will is for your life. So as we come from here, what are we supposed to take away from this? Here, I think this passage keeps us very much in balance. Begin, beginning is don't boast about tomorrow. It means don't be full of yourself as to what you're supposed to do. Instead, we need to keep our priorities for what God is supposed to do. That's verse 17. What he's called us to do, that's what we should do it. Oh, and don't be lazy about it because we don't have a whole lot of time. He has given you this time to use it for his glory. And of course, the first and foremost command, if you're here today and you have not surrendered to Christ, to your life, that very first command, very first, the next right thing you're supposed to do, surrender your life to him. Repent, turn from your sins, trust in your Lord and Savior, Jesus. If you haven't done that yet, that's where you've got to start. And oh, today is the day of salvation. Your life is a mist. You don't know if you'll have this opportunity again. So if you've not committed, do so today. If you need some help with that, please come and see me. Trust me, nothing, nothing would thrill me more than to help you begin this year following after Jesus. And if you say, well, yes, I have submitted to Christ, but there are some, I have maybe submitted everything. There's a few things I'm holding back in my life, my time, my money, my whatever. Surrender those things to him. Make this another year of deepening commitment to your Lord and Savior. Because that's the next right thing for you. Is there a sin that you're hanging on to? It's just going to grow. It's not going to get better. Don't boast about tomorrow that you can keep this sin in check because you're wrong. Leave that behind. Leave that in the past year. And embrace in this new year what Christ can do with his transforming power for this life. And finally, if you're looking into this life and this next year, and perhaps you're walking away from this and saying, I am completely overwhelmed with all that I have to do in this upcoming year. I I am barely able to breathe a sigh of relief to have gotten through the holidays of 22, and now begins this new year of 23, and I'm completely overwhelmed and frazzled. Does that describe you? Well, then I think that we would all do well to remember the words of Jesus from Luke 10, 41. When he's talking to Martha, Jesus has come. He's a house guest at Mary and Martha's house. And Martha is running around trying to get all of the things set for Jesus. And this service has turned her angry at her sister for not helping 
All of a sudden, this isn't about Jesus anymore, is it? About getting things done. And then Jesus looks at her and says, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What he's referring to in that moment, that passage, was what Mary was doing. Sitting at his feet, learning from Jesus, and desiring a relationship with him. That's the goal. Whatever else you plan to do this year, growing a business, enjoying retirement, losing weight, raising kids, whatever that is, no matter how far those resolutions go into February, remember that there's only one thing necessary. Prioritize your relationship with Jesus. If those other resolutions don't work out, all right. Keep Jesus at the forefront of this year for yourself because that's what's necessary. That's what Jesus wants. And he will give you the power to do it. Don't boast in your ability to follow after Jesus either. Be humble and say, Lord, I need help making this the one thing necessary. I need help in submitting to you. And if the Lord wills, I will grow. And he says that all those who are weary come to me and I will give you rest. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He will bring it to perfection. And one day, he will bring us to glorification. We have heaven to look forward to no matter how this year goes because he wills it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you are fully in control of where our lives are going. Help us to rest in this, to not try to be like the one who is the captain of our own destiny because we're not. We don't even know where our ship is going. But I pray that you would remind us of your faithfulness that we would trust you more, and that if there is anyone here who has not put their faith in Jesus, that they would trust you completely and would surrender their hearts to you even this day. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.